I talk about the death of my husband, but I've come to understand that there are many types of deaths. And there's some, in my opinion, there are some things worse than death, such as a vegetative state or a traumatic brain injury, even Alzheimer's, dementia. When we lose something that was of great value to us, maybe you're like me and it was a loved one, but what about the trauma of losing your peace or a dream, a job, a home? Have you ever had to say goodbye to friendship or grieve a broken marriage vow? So whenever we're separated from that, which we hold dear, there is a grieving process, or at least there should be, because if not, the pain will wait for you. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Bonus episode. It's my one-year podcasting anniversary. It's celebration time for finding God in our pain because my learning curve was real, but I can testify that God is faithful. Today's episode is my year in review. What did I learn in this past year from hearing the stories of others? How have their experiences shaped my understanding of who the God of the Holy Bible is when it comes to pain and suffering? It has been such a precious experience because of the places I've been allowed to go. And by places, I mean that my guests have allowed me into their intimate pain, their vulnerable places, and their genuine struggle with God. To me, that's sacred ground where our pain meets God's sovereignty. This is going to sound really weak, but I struggle to put it in words. I have been extravagantly encouraged to learn in deeper ways that God never leaves us. And that is pure gold in this life. With each story, my heart has been given significant revelation into my understanding of God's heart for us in the midst of this life, trauma, trials, and disappointments. In today's episode, I've asked my friend Amy Heilman to be the interviewer and to help me reflect on the past year of guests and topics with a focus on what I've learned in my own life through the concept of shared story. And you may remember Amy's episode on identity. She kicked us off in 2021, in January, having an in-depth conversation with me on our identity in Christ. So to date, I have produced 27 podcast episodes, a couple of which are bonus episodes. And as you know, Finding God in Our Pain is a bi-monthly podcast. So I release episodes every other Wednesday. I currently have 2,600 plus I think I saw like 2620 uh, earlier this morning when I checked. So 2600 plus downloads. So 27 episodes and the 2600 plus downloads. The majority of my listeners are in the United States, but here's a short list. And I say short, I get super excited about it. Uh, in Of the areas where I also have listeners, there's Switzerland, Ireland, Russia, India, Netherlands, Germany, Guatemala, France, New Zealand, Austria, Australia, United Kingdom, Jamaica, Canada, and that's just to name a few. Of my 27 episodes to date, here are the top five with regard to number of downloads only. 
I've had my head in the learning curve on how to produce a quality product and give you something worth listening to. So I haven't had a chance to learn analytics, nor what the measurable aspects are uh, when it comes to anything other than downloads. My pilot has the most downloads and a pilot is where you explain what your podcast is about. I've had 230 downloads, but I don't really count that because that's me. And I think it would be typical for people to listen to the pilot to decide if they want to invest their time in the actual podcast. Number one podcast download is Amy, my interviewer today. Amy's topic on identity holds that number one spot for overall downloads. It's understandable because identity is up for grabs at this particular time in our culture. Her episode has seen 154 downloads. Number two, Mish Poe or Michelle Poe, we call her Mish. She spoke to us about her journey with mental illness and her suicide attempt. And if you need to know that you're not alone and hear from someone who knows the struggle is real, Mish will give your heart encouragement. And she's had 130 downloads for her individual episode. Number three, Marjorie Wingert, her story centered, centered around what it's like to be transitioning into blindness since the age of 16, and she's currently in her early 40s. And to date, Marjorie has, has had 123 downloads. Number four, Dominique Bennett. Dominique is a single mom of five children, all boys. I say that because I raised two boys and we began to sign release of liabilities when the oldest was five years old and we didn't stop until the youngest was 18. This precious mom has five boys. <laughs> Dominic shares her story of God's faithfulness when marriage vows are broken and divorced becomes a status. She has seen 122 downloads for her episode. Shelly DeRabos talks about her personal pain. She's number five. Shelly, my, my sweet friend, Shelly. As a matter of fact, I just visited her for a few days in Florida. She talks about her personal pain when her husband, Marcelo, gets a completely unexpected aggressive cancer diagnosis. She'll tell you what, that if you're looking for God, he's on the fourth floor in the women's bathroom. And that centers around her husband's hospital stay. And one of the times when she was told that he would not make it much longer, they, they didn't know when he would pass, but they did not expect him to make it within the next few hours. Those listeners have downloaded her individual episode 118 times. Those are my top five. And there are so many more beautiful stories. And I'll name just a few because this episode ended up being a little bit longer than I thought because I got a little excited. What can I say? Um, there's author Sandra Julian Barker and her story of forgiveness. And her nephew had murdered his father and mother, which was Sandra's brother and sister-in-law. Diane Lawless, false imprisonment, what the enemy meant to use to destroy Diane. God turns it into something beautiful. Erin Honeycutt, she did a bonus episode at Christmas time about infertility and miscarriage and how she trusted God with any future children. She literally trusted God with her eggs. Anne Shaw, her son was born with spina bifida. And there are some beautiful things that I learned through her story about limitations that are physical and then limitations that we have that we put on ourselves, whether it's spiritual uh, or mental, emotional. Then there's Meredith Sage Kendall. She had an affair and she gives hope to a woman's heart if this woman finds herself living with any type of guilt or shame. Sarah Geringer, she gave some in-depth insight on living in a difficult marriage. And she wasn't talking about how he won't put his socks in the hamper. He puts them next to the dirty clothes hamper or how he won't put the toilet seat down. She's talking like difficult marriage. So she gave some great resources to Melinda Patrick. To me, she represented the, um, the heart of God, God's heart, when she shared that her daughter came to her, letting her know that she had a same-sex attraction. Jenna Erlinson, infertility, a special needs son, her family, and she's currently getting ready to deliver twins. So she had an, a, a depth of wisdom that I can only hope to mature to. And so many more like Crystal Day, 
Jennifer Uren, Christy Wells, and Brittany Dunn of Safe House Project. They're a resource for people when, or survivors when they're removed from sex trafficking. Suzanne Burns, Artisha Bolding, Sherry Jones, Bonnie Rollins. Who else? We just recently had Sarah Salazar, Meredith Bunting, Amy Watson. And that was just a few of the incredible blessings that really for me to hear their stories. Of the 27 current episodes the tw- and 26 plus 100, 2,600 plus downloads, I get an average of 96 downloads per episode. And I'll be honest, I have no clue whether that's good or not good. But to me, it's phenomenal. When I look at it, I see progress. I see God's intimacy of calling and equipping. Every time I get to talk with a guest, I get a front row seat to someone's redemption story. With each testimony, God's continually showing me who he is. You want to talk about building faith? I am richly rewarded over and over and over again. To my listeners, thank you for listening. Where would I be without you? Granted, I'd still be learning some beautiful things about God, but my heart would still long to reveal these things to your heart too. May these stories of God, the God who never leaves us in our distress, give you the courage to take the next breath, the next step, and give you hope and a better tomorrow. Also, I deeply appreciate any time that you share my podcast with those whom you have influence with or someone you want to bless with an encouraging message. That is a blessing to me. I love and appreciate you. Thank you. As a side note, I'm open to suggestions on what I can do better or the type of guest you want to hear from, or maybe there's a topic you want to hear about. Are you ready to share your story? I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you know someone who needs to share their story because it will encourage others. Should any of that apply to you, please visit the home base for my, pod set, for my podcast. And that's the website, alifeofthrive.com. One word, alifeofthrive.com. Use the contact link and let me know your thoughts. Give me your suggestions. Let's talk about your story or introduce me to your friend who has the beauty to share with the world. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Sherry, happy first anniversary of podcasting, my friend. Finding God in our pain as one year old today. How do you feel about that, Sherry? Thank you, Amy. I appreciate this. From a business standpoint, there's been a lot of birthing pains and I'm convinced that God uses tech to keep me close to him. Because if you know me, you know, my love hate relationship with tech and you know, my, is it an uncanny ability to have seasoned techs scratch their head saying, I don't know. I've never seen this before. (laughs) I'm used to that. I believe God uses that to have me check in with him quite often, but it's also one of the ways that I see him move when I finally throw my hands up and just say, Lord, no one can figure this out except you. And then it just starts working. So I've seen that numerous times. And then from a personal standpoint, it's been such an encouragement to my heart and to my faith. The women that I have spoken to show incredible strength in their vulnerability. So to be able to participate in a portion of their redemption story. And I say that because I believe when we've been through something and we turn around and stretch out our hand for that person behind us and say, hey, A, you're not alone. B, I can give you some of my story that will show you that it does get better, that from this healing place I'm at to share my story, it can be that for you as well. You can get there. And I don't want to overlook Alan Crookman. He's the only guy so far. And Alan is a missionary who risks his very life to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you listen to his episode, I was reminded of what he risks going into cultures where witch doctors have power and influence, 
where making a genuine gesture can be, be received in a disrespectful way and it could cost you your life. Not to mention the extreme conditions. And I remember one of the stories he told several stories, but one of them was they were traveling through the jungle and they stopped at this little place where they were going to get something to eat. Their guides were telling them they could eat here. And Alan gets out and he sees the guy roll from underneath or crawl from underneath the car and go into the portion that they're entering to order their food. And it's the same guy. The mechanic is this cook and the server. (laughs) So he cooks the food. He has not washed his hands and he puts the food on the floor where they all sit down and eat. Alan said he did not get sick that time, but his partner got sick over that. His friend that was traveling with him to share the gospel. And then there was one other time too, that stands out for me with Alan. I forgot where he said he was. If you listen to the episode, he'll tell you. And he was handing out Bibles. Well, they get discovered by the group in that culture that did not agree with their God. So Alan, everybody scatters, but Alan is trapped and they begin to circle him and to chant and they have stones. So he knows what's coming because he knows their culture Mm -hmm. and he's going to be stoned. But all of a sudden confusion breaks out in the group and somebody grabs him and says, get out of here. Of course, he runs and gets out of the circle and for no apparent reason other than the confusion. So we all know that was God. But there's a story, too, in the midst of that. He and God are having this dialogue. He knows he's dying. And so he's talking to the Lord and the Lord wants him to do one thing. But he's like, no, Lord, I'm going out with words to write about for years to come. And what the Lord does to him is rather comical in order to shut his mouth. All that to say that every single story that has been shared with me, and there are no exceptions, reveals another layer or shines an ever-increasing light deeper into the heart of the good God I profess in the context of pain and suffering. So good. So just a reminder for listeners. So the purpose of today's episode is to stop and reflect on the year and to share what God has revealed through the various stories of the guests with Sherry on this podcast. So for the purpose of this discussion, we're going to define pain and suffering. In my experience, I talk about the death of my husband, but I've come to understand that there are many types of deaths. And there's some, in my opinion, there are some things worse than death, such as a vegetative state or a traumatic brain injury, even Alzheimer's, dementia. When we lose something that was of great value to us, maybe you're like me and it was a loved one, but what about the trauma of losing your peace or a dream, a job, a home? Have you ever had to say goodbye to friendship or grieve a broken marriage vow? So whenever we're separated from that, which we hold dear, there is a grieving process, or at least there should be, because if not, the pain will wait for you. And I discovered that, but in the meantime, It'll show up in other ways or in other areas of our lives, such as fear, anxiety, lack of trust, depression, offense, addiction, bitterness, abuse. Um, In whatever way that we create a survival skill around that pain to keep from feeling it. So whatever, whatever has caused you to turn inward, no longer trust or to be in fear, maybe you're racked with anxiety, what's made you cry, mourn, weep, wail, that is pain and suffering. Yeah, pain and suffering can look different for everyone, depending on their season and situations. So before we dig much deeper, let's orient our newest listeners 
of why are you interested in this particular topic of the God of the Holy Bible and the reality of pain and suffering? I pull up to the table and contribute to this particular topic of holding God up to examine him within the context of pain and suffering, because on February 21st, 2018, I unexpectedly lost my husband, Larry. We'd been together a little over 33 years and he wasn't a lazy man, not a lazy bone in his body. So no indicator or reason for him to have a massive heart attack on his way home. And we were so taken by surprise. And I say we, my sons and I, that we had an autopsy done because we did not understand what had happened. Larry and I married when we were 21. We bought a house with our honeymoon money. We didn't even travel. We, we decided to put that money into a house. We weathered the adjustment of marriage and all the stressors that it takes to blend two independent people who were not sold out on Jesus yet. We waited to have children. And when we did, we chased all the activities that two boys can find to be interested in. We experienced a fracture in the marriage and we watched God restore us. We were walking strong with the Lord and discovering his heart for marriage and for each of us as the individuals he created us to be. We started a business that our boys run today. And it was such a wonderful feeling of having made it through all the difficult seasons, made all the sacrifices, such a sweet sweet spot, reflecting on all we'd been through and looking forward to enjoying the latter years surrounded by our children and our grandchildren that were starting to be added to the family. Mm. And then he was gone. Mm. You know, no chance to say goodbye, say, I love you one more time or kiss his lips or hug his neck or feel his arm around my waist. He was just gone. And this devastating tragedy of having lost my husband brought me face to face with the fact that the good God I profess did not intervene to stop the death of my husband. And it felt very cruel. I felt very vulnerable to the God I needed, but he didn't show up. And how was I going to make sense of that? I began to ask God some tough questions like, where are you? Do you even care? Why me? Sounds like those questions started you on quite a journey. Yes. And it's a journey that I'm still on today. At some point in my journey, I came across this quote and I've read it a couple of times in various episodes. As a matter of fact, as I sit here and reflect now, I think this month has been heavily influenced by this quote with the other podcasts that I have coming out. But when I discovered it, I felt like it drilled down or tore open the pain and wound to reveal the core struggle, the real test when trauma comes upon us. And it was the battle I was in and maybe the battle I'm still in because we all know that what's not so pretty about us, our ugly thoughts, our gossipy ways, our sinful nature, it lies dormant until it's challenged. And so when I expect unexpectedly lost my husband, everything in me was challenged but it all revolved around or hinged on my faith in Christ. You know, Satan attaches himself to our traumas. And so when we're challenged and, you know, we go into this survival mode, all of those things that Satan uses against us comes at us. Mm. And now we have to keep them in check again and, and hold them up to see what God has to say about them. But here's the quote. It's by Craig Barnes, and he was a Protestant pastor. The deep fear behind every loss is that we have been abandoned by the God who should have saved us. Mm -hmm. The transforming moment in Christian conversion comes when we realize that even God has left us. We then discover it was not God, but our image of God that abandoned us. Only then is change possible. 
And to give you a recent example, my episode with Charlie Griffin, it will have aired on Wednesday. This is supposed to come out. This is a bonus episode. And this is supposed to come out on Thursday, the actual one year anniversary, the 23rd. So Charlie will have just come out on September 15th. Charlie is talking about how she was praying to God to save her marriage. And she felt like God was going to do a miracle and give her an amazing testimony about what he's capable of doing. But she gets no help or participation or response from God. And I'm not going to spoil why he didn't help. You'll have to listen to her story. But what she reveals in that episode echoed for me that we come to God with our limited understanding of who he is. We think it should look a certain way if he's working. It should sound like this or feel like that if it's him. But when we give God space, just sitting in his presence with his word, talking to him about pain, struggle, obstacles, challenges, asking him you know, to show us again how much he loves us, because I have to do that often. I don't know about you. But giving him our praise and our worship, then we make room for him to reveal himself as he truly is. What, what he does have for us. And a lot of times it's completely out of the box that we had put him in. So when we allow God to rewrite our faith, not by what we thought, but who he is. And that's when, for me, you know, God got my attention and I start to go into the submission posture. And then that's when healing begins, in my opinion. Being expectant without having our own expectations. Yeah. I can understand how this contributed to your personal faith journey, but Sherry, why or when did you decide on a podcast? There were a couple of things that opened the door to the idea of this podcast, mainly the comfort that I received from the women who shared their personal story of tragedy, Mm -hmm. loss, and grief trauma, it gave me encouragement because I could see that healing is possible and a better tomorrow would come. It helped ease my regrets. One of the regrets that stayed with me for so long was the fact that Larry said to me, he didn't feel good. I just thought, you know, can't imagine what he's coming down with. The man's never sick. But, and in that, why didn't I pick up on something? Why did I let that slide? And so I had that right in my hands. I had the opportunity to take him to the doctor, which it would have been an argument, but if I'd have had the argument, I wouldn't be regretting, or I wouldn't have regretted it as much as I did at the time. But there it was the opportunity of him telling me he's not feeling well. And he he talks to me a couple of times that day. And then he says, I'm going home and I'm like, okay, I'll stop by the grocery store. I'll get ginger ale, crackers, bananas, rice, that kind of thing. So when you feel better and you feel like eating, then you'll be able to, because he had tried to eat. And that's what sent him home. was like, no, I'm going to throw up. But again, right in front of me, right there, I had it and I missed it. And I'll never get that opportunity back. Mm -hmm. And so in that regret, one of the stories that comforted my heart was a, a woman she had gone to school with Larry and they, they had reconnected and she had introduced him to her husband and they were hunting. And of course he introduces me to her and her husband. Anyway, super sweet woman. And she tells me, Sherry, I was married before she married this husband and the husband that I met, I didn't meet her her first husband. And she said, I was at home with our week old baby and he was not well, he was sick. He'd gone to the hospital twice. And then in the middle of the night, his third trip to the hospital in an ambulance and he dies, he had meningitis. Mm -hmm. So he had been in the care of professional people and they missed it. Mm -hmm. They missed meningitis. And because of that, he died. And so that was helpful to say, okay, 
you know, even had he been in professional care, that doesn't mean they would have stopped it or found it in time. Mm-hmm. And ultimately somebody said something to me about Sherry, you're not God. Mm-hmm. And so that was helpful to me as far as like, you know what, check yourself, Sherry, there's nothing you could have done different. If it's your time, it's your time. You're no author of when life starts and when life ends, that's a sovereignty that God weighs on his shoulders. And to be honest with you, that's peace to me that I don't have to shoulder that sort of responsibility. Mm. So along with giving me encouragement and easing my regrets, it increased my faith to experience God's presence, literal presence, to know that he enters into my pain with me, that he catches my tears, that he lifts my head. That experience of not being alone, of being seen, heard, held, loved, it's just priceless. There's no, no way to repay that. So I thought if I was receiving such beauty from these stories and my personal experience with the Lord, it made me wonder if others would benefit from them too. Would these stories encourage their hearts to take one more breath or one more step or have hope and a better tomorrow and what it looks like for somebody to be healed after such trauma? So as I'm coming into this realization, this line of questioning with God, I remember that a podcast was on my radar when I initially agreed to do the blog because this podcast is born from a blog. At least the blog is the home base. So backing up just a little bit uh, for those who may not know, and I'll try to keep this really brief. I always felt like the Lord was calling me to write. And so I kept trying to position myself to be a writer. And I kept telling the Lord, I don't have a book in me. In my mind, I thought you had to have a book to write in order to be a writer. The whole time, I don't have a book. I'm not writing a book. Well, then blogs become a thing and I figure out what a blog is. And I was like, okay, I'll agree to write a blog. I can write small little snippets of something. So I picked a launch date, March 3rd, 2018. I get my blog posts. I get my website, all this stuff I get in place. And then Larry passes 10 days before my blog launch. Hmm. And I was like, Lord, all these years, I have tried to put myself in this place for you to, you know, draw me so I could be obedient when I felt you move. And I feel like I was obedient and you pulled the rug out from underneath me. Like mm-hmm. you, this is, this is so cruel. And so he said to me, what do you want to do? And I don't hear audible words. I just heard it in my spirit. All one thing. What do you want to do? So it was like, he was letting me choose that. I want to go to this blog post, this blog launch. Did I want to keep going or did I not want to go? I didn't feel any pressure. I felt he genuinely was asking me, what do you want to do? And so I thought about it for a second. I knew in my spirit, I said, if I don't do this now, I will never do it. I will leave writing behind. I will have no interest in it and I will never look back. And so I told him, I said, I will do it, but I need you to be there with me. And so when I went into that blog launch, the people that were there, beautiful. Some knew what was going on and they were there to support me. Others did not know. I never really gave the message that I was going to present about the blog and whatnot. I was very real and raw and honest with people saying, Hey, I just lost my husband 10 days ago. I'm really numb. And I, I'm really not sure which end is up, but I do know that God is still good. Mm-hmm. And I say that, that God is still kind, even in death. So he shows up for 52 weeks with this blog and I'm blown away when I realized, wait, it's been 52 weeks. It's been a year that I did this blog. And even now with this podcast, I'm like, holy smokes, it's been a year that I've been podcasting, but my head has been down and I'm not even looking at metrics because I'm trying to learn how to produce a quality product. Mm-hmm. And God reminds me that a podcast was on your you know, dream list, but 
this certainly was not the podcast topic that I had in mind. I didn't really know, but I felt like it was going to come out of what I was doing in my blogs. But instead, God did a severe shift, a severe turn, and then gives me this. But I do feel like it is part of my redemption story as well, again, to encourage other hearts. And I love that he gives us that opportunity to participate in some of our redemption story. It's beautiful to me. Absolutely. Hope. So you've got some distance now on your tragic event, but what about those who rarely, if ever, get any hope that things will change for them? Or what about the ones who will not receive their healing on the side of heaven? What does God have for them? I just finished a conversation with Meredith Bunting. And you may remember Meredith Bunting as one of the original seven women who agreed to share their story, be vulnerable so that I could get my podcast off the ground. And Meredith had chronic illness. There was no relief, not no relief for her pain. And, and the intensity of that pain, when it attacked her body, it balled her up in a fetal position for days. She would be in her bed, balled up in desperation with Satan whispering in her ear to kill herself. She wasn't strong enough. She's not going to make it. Go ahead and end it. Take control. End it. But then just recently, the pain disappeared. A miracle. All of a sudden, she realized, wait, I don't have any pain. It hasn't attacked me. So she lived in this pain for years, and now it's gone. And the, the uh, episode that I just recorded with her is about her new book that she has done, and it'll be out in February. So now she's a person who had no hope for a healing, no diagnosis that or cure for what she was experiencing. But yet here she is standing in a place of healing. So I I asked her a question along those same lines. Uh, So I dug into that topic with her and how she found hope in the midst of despair, because she had uh, praise for her savior, even in the midst of those physical attacks of pain. And I want to read what she wrote. Let me see if I can find it really quick because I should have it here somewhere because I was just having this conversation with her, I think, day before yesterday. So here's, here's her response when I asked her somewhat along the same lines, that same question. She said, suffering for the Christian is not a disease, a loss, or a tragedy. It's a crown. That just opened my mind right there, a crown. At first, it is the same twisted, thorny twigs gouging the head and face of our Savior. It is the suffering of Christ, our burden to share, and his promise of redemption. Our only hope in the crucible, the one hope, he will save us or take us, a win-win. When the suffering calms, the crown softens to become one of steadfast love and mercy. And she referenced Psalm 103.4 which is the crown he gives that we carry into the world, having been convinced of our Lord's faithfulness. And we bring what we have felt and experienced in our pain to the world where we are now precious missionaries. So even in the midst of the fact that she would not have a cure for her pain, when she had good days, she considered herself a missionary to proclaim God's goodness, even in in the reality of her pain and suffering. To me, that is beautiful. That is powerful. And then she goes on to say that only the suffering servant, lowercase, knows intimately the suffering servant, capitalized. Mm. When the crown of thorns is worn by the believer who God is calling home, 
It becomes a radiant and treasured bejeweled headpiece to be worn by the saint who goes to sit with Jesus on his throne with his father. It is the promised crown of life. For the dying believer, this is the hope and promise for all to see as he takes his or her last breath. So for your friend, because I'd asked her about a friend whose son has sustained a TBI and she's seeing small improvements, but surely that mama's heart struggles because she knows who he used to be. And that's what she would like to see him be again. And I want to follow up with that saying, she's not said that to me. That's this mama's heart watching from the outside. So Meredith says, so for your friend, rest and trust in God. He is love and will bring something beautiful from her broken son. And she will wear her crown to make a difference in the suffering of others. I love that she made a distinction between those that are still here in their suffering and then the suffering for the one who's going home to be eternally with Christ. So what is something that stands out to you when it comes to tragedy and trauma? Whenever we're separated from the things that we hold near and dear and identity crisis kicks in. And you can speak to that because of your episode on identity, Mm -hmm. but meaning when a title is gone Mm -hmm. or roles or responsibilities are no longer ours, we're left wondering who am I now? Our identity does a free fall. And if it's not built on the solid rock of Christ, there's no telling where that trauma will take you because Satan attaches himself to our traumas. So there's something else too. The reality is, is that sometimes God does not move the mountains. We so desperately pray for him to move. He didn't give Larry another heartbeat. How do you feel? What are your thoughts about that before I continue my thought? That sometimes God does not move mountains. No, sometimes he doesn't. And I think it comes to that place of, I will, I will love and believe that he is a good God that is for me, even if even if I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that just story comes to my mind that they had the faith that um, they just knew that God was going to show up. And even if he didn't, they were still going to stand firm and what they believed and who God was. I think that kind of comes down to it for us too. It comes to the core of, do we truly believe who God is, who his true character is and who we are to him? And if we believe that he is a good God and a faithful God and has our best interest in mind, even if things don't look or seem the way we would want them to, he in the end is still a good God and a faithful God and sovereign. That is our challenge. Our faith walk is to Do we really believe that he is who he says he is based on what he says or based on what we experience? Mm, There's a situation in my personal life right now where my heart is just devastated and I'm praying for God to speak a word or move his hand, glance in that direction so that it will all be put back right again, or even better than it was. So restored, not to what we had, but to his original intention. And I was praying and I told the Lord, what am I going to do if you don't move this mountain? And I don't think it's a lack of faith because what I do know is that he's present in it. Yes. So he's working and he's drawing each of us to him and he's revealing himself to those who are responding to his lead. Even if the mountain doesn't move, I know God is working. And I think that's where the faith is at. What do you think? I agree. I agree. What was a game changer revelation for you that you've learned that our sin doesn't disqualify us. And that even when we're running from God, he's constantly running toward us. Some of the women who I talked with 
were left with guilt and shame. But what I learned through their stories is that in Christ's hands, everything, and I do mean everything, is redeemable. Believers and non-believers get consequences for their choices, but the believer has somewhere to take the guilt and drop it off. And not just somewhere, but to someone that we can give our shame to. We lay it at the feet of Christ or at the foot of the cross. And what does he do? He clothes us with himself. Two names that come to mind really quick, Beverly Walters and Kimberly Malusis. Beverly is from Jamaica and and Kimberly is from Canada. And both of these women, when they were very young, were uh, taken advantage of and abused at the hands of people who they trusted, who needed to take care of them. And so everything about their childhood would not indicate to me or maybe really anyone that they would be where they are today. Beverly uh, was living a lifestyle in human trafficking. She had been sexually abused, ended up living on her own and trying to provide for herself. So there's a job she goes for and ends up in the sex trade. And then there comes a point in her life when she's going to commit suicide and she she's going to drown herself because she can't swim. She's going to go out into deep water. But she cried out to God and he answered her. So talking with her within this past year, she it was so beautiful to me and so powerful. She has fully embraced who Christ is and the work of his blood in her life. To hear her speak of who she is now, just powerful, a solid place of identity. And that stuck with me. And the same thing about Kimberly. Her parents divorced when she was very young. Her single mom worked two and three jobs to provide for Kimberly and her siblings. So she turns to alcohol as a coping mechanism, and it doesn't go well. And and when she gets to go to her father's house, she gets nice restaurants, meals, fun times, nice clothes, but she discovers that he's a drug dealer and a pimp. And so she falls victim to predators. When she comes to the realization of Christ calling to her, she responds and doesn't look back. These women have thriving ministries. They have thriving lives. Where they are today is nothing short of a miracle and of God's work and saving grace in their life. And remember too, Beverly was telling me there was a priest, and I hope I'm getting the title right for priest, there in Jamaica. And the woman would text her and say, come home. That was all she would text her, come home. And so eventually she comes home to the church. So these horrible, despicable things that happen to them by people that they look to for help or to take care of them, they don't settle for that as their future. They embrace the love of God. They adorn themselves with his love. They wear his love like a beautiful garment. And I'm not saying they're perfect and that they don't have moments where they're crying out to the Lord in an intimate exchange about something that is breaking their heart. Because I just don't think we'll stop doing that until we're with him face to face for eternity. But what I'm saying is they believe that Christ's blood was enough, that God is who he says he is and, and that they are to him who he says they are because of the power and the work of the blood of Christ. They have taken their eyes off of themselves and put their affections and focus on him. And maybe that's really what the game changer is when we take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on him and who he is and who he says we are. That's beautiful. Absolutely. I remember both those women's stories and I loved hearing the little glimmers of them sensing God's presence with them, even in the midst of some of those darkest places. You're right. God is not afraid to walk in into anywhere or any situation, anything. Yeah. I used to think growing up, you know, I felt like God was always mad at me. You know, I could never do anything right. But then I hear these women's real life struggles and God's there. He's calling them. He's protecting them. He's providing for them. 
I think that's one of beautiful things celebrating with you in the podcast is that being able to hear the testimonies of these women and to hear them share about God's presence with them, taking notice of that, um, just totally fans the flames of our own hope and faith Amen. in God. What is something that stands out to you about God that gave you a deeper understanding of who he is? I would have to say that in some of the darkest times where God showed me who he was, I didn't even have the energy to try to make him who I thought he was or try to look for him a certain way. And he showed up a lot of those crinkly pages with the ink on them came alive for me mm-hmm. to experience them rather than read them changed a lot of things. And Romans eight thirty eight through 39, for yeah. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I listened to the story of Lady Kavan and her husband was murdered Mm -hmm. in a home invasion Mm -hmm. in the wee hours of the morning. And he was trying to protect her and his family and Mm -hmm. the intruder murdered him. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, you know, Satan came up in your house mm-hmm. like that to me, like, God, why did you let them be violated like that? The house is supposed to be a place where you keep us safe. And she said to me, and this was a, the, the conversation took several twists and turns, but what stuck with me is that she said, you know, I asked my listeners to find something to be thankful for on the worst day of their life. And she said, So I felt like I should take that challenge as well. And I found it. I found something to be thankful for on the day that my husband was murdered. And what she found was when these people came in, I remember her talking of one, but I think there was a couple of guys that came into the home, but they took all of the electronics. They took everything of any sort of value, but all the electronics were gone. But right above in plain view on the top of this console, if you will, there sits a tablet that her husband had bought for their son. And so she was able to give their son a gift at Christmas time from his father. That really set me back in thinking, okay, Lord, you were there. You didn't stop it, but you didn't leave her there by herself. I was so impressed by the fact that Romans 8, 38 through 39 means that even when God doesn't approve how man uses his gift of choice, he doesn't leave us alone. To know you're not alone, I mean, that's... That's everything, really. Yeah, it is. Because the enemy wants you to make you feel that you are alone. And that living word that you just spoke from Romans 8, is that reminder that we are never alone. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us. Good reminder. Well, so many of people in this world and some of your stories on your podcast talks about grief, grieving, So what are some of the tools that people can use to help with the grieving process, Sherry? For me, and I hear a lot of the same things. I'll start with what I hear other women doing. And that would be journaling came very strong throughout my strong theme. 
when talking to people, there's a lot of journaling. And I think that helps. I'm more of a verbalizer. And so I just pour out to the Lord, but journaling gets it all out of your head and out of your heart. And it, so it's like a cleansing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Me, I do the quiet time with prayer. And I do believe you need to make time to weep. Just weep. Give yourself that opportunity to lose it and let it flow. To me, that's cleansing. Tears are cleansing. You want to weep over mistakes or regrets, anything that comes along with that grieving process, purge and release it. And, and, and grieve that tearing away of what you've lost. Maybe it's not the death of somebody, but you've lost your peace. You've lost your job. You've lost your finances. You've lost your physical abilities. Sarah Salazar, her, her episode is another one that's fresh in my mind. It would have come out the beginning of September this month. And she summed it up so nicely. She said, get into a support group, first and foremost, to know you're not alone. It'll help you navigate where you're at in the process. Take it easy on yourself. I always say it's a roller coaster ride. And she said, celebrate the small things you do. If you wash your hair, if you get out of bed, if you fix yourself a cup of coffee, little things. She said, celebrate those and do not isolate. Now, I intentionally isolated at least the first year, but family was still coming by and friends were still checking on me. And I had one friend that sent me something every month for Mm. a year. Um, just to say, Hey, I'm still thinking of you. I'm praying for you. I love you. And that was salve to my heart. People still, you know, know that I'm grieving and I'm hurting. Mm -hmm. Sarah said to be open and honest with those around you who are offering to help. And she made a good point too. And I believe it because I have a friend right now that I'm trying to attend to. And one time she said, she didn't know what I could help her with because people ask her all the time. And she's like, Oh, I'm fine. You know, you don't know what to really say when people ask you, how can I help? So what I started doing with her, because she has a big family, and I also knew other family would be coming in, is I just started taking her toiletries, paper towels, toilet paper, plastic knives and silverware, plates and cups and bowls and all that stuff, mm. because I didn't know any other way to help. And she said to me one day, that was so extremely helpful. It has been a ministry all on its own. But so she was saying, be honest. If you want a load of laundry washed, say, could you come wash my laundry, please? You want somebody to walk the dog? ask them to walk the dog. And then the one I thought was so beautiful is to remember that grief is not your identity. It's something you're going through. Yes, but that's not your identity. What would you say about that grief as an identity? That's so true. Again, I think the enemy likes to whisper those lies in your ear when you're in that season, right? Grief and grieving is just a part of life and death, the side of heaven. You can't avoid it. Everybody deals with grief and grieving in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, that is not a part of your identity, but that is just a part of life. And being able to walk it out and walk it out well, I think those tools that you just described are really, really helpful. I think for people, I think that's one of the beautiful things about your podcast, and I celebrate with you, Sherry, is that it has given great examples of how you walk out pain, trauma, suffering, and grief. I'd like to add just one other tool that might be helpful for your listeners about grief and grieving. And that is, it's an example in the Bible about lament and lamenting. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned writing. I think it's really healthy. I've also seen that it's really good for people to write out letters, letters, perhaps to the loved one that they lost the words they'd never got to say because the loved one was taken very quickly. Um, Letters to people to help get that out those thoughts and those feelings that swirl around in our minds that just need to be 
be released and released back to God in the form of a letter or a lament. I've seen that be very healing and powerful for people. That does sound powerful to yeah. get that to flow out because there are things that just like those regrets that I held on to for a while. I don't have them now. I've made peace with them, but to have gotten them out because I can't say anything to him anymore. And what do you do with it? So a letter does sound very purging. Also too, counseling. I didn't mention that one. I guess maybe grief counseling or a support group, but what about counseling? How do you feel about that? Well, in the season of life I'm in right now, I am working for a Christian counseling office and we see a lot of people coming in with a lot of anxiety and depression. And a big part of it is they have not worked through grief. So having a counselor or someone or a spiritual companionship of having someone safe to be able to walk that out with you, it's very healing and brings you to a place of healing and wholeness and hope moving forward. Very important. Yeah. I think that's a great tool as well as to have somebody to help you through that. And it kind of comes back to grief will wait for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's many types of grieving. Yes. Yes, indeed. Has there been one particular Bible verse or passage that has taken on a new depth or revelation for you? I would probably come back to Romans eight thirty-eight through 39. Mm-hmm. And I'm Psalm 23, really. Gosh, mm-hmm. that one came alive because that's exactly what he did for me along this journey, the resting and the protecting and the providing. And through the stories of these women, the ones that the women share, it proves that his word is true over and over and over again. So Sherry, why is the God of the Holy Bible qualified to answer our deep questions about pain and suffering? I'm reminded of Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so when I think about that, I think about God coming to us with his scars and his hands and his feet, and he shows them to us and he says, I've been where you are. I know the way through. I have endured this myself and I will walk you through this. Follow me. I'm going to help you rest. I'm going to help you sort through all of this. I'm going to help you grieve. I'm going to help you heal because I know the way through. So I think it comes down to the scars in his hands and his feet. That's why I feel like he's qualified to answer our deep questions and to help us struggle with our pain. And his humanness. Mm -hmm. As God and human, he understands the depth of pain. When does healing begin? What have you learned? I, I think healing begins when we are faced with God's sovereignty, meaning the situation that we're in, our circumstance, it doesn't matter what we do. It's not going to make a difference. We can't lift our hand to make a difference. We can't say a word. We can't buy something and it changed where we're at. And so for me, I look back at my creator, my author for the answers to my life. When faced with God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. I just surrender because mm-hmm. I have nothing to, to rival that. I have nothing to offer 
his sovereignty. And in that surrender, when I laid down, I say it all the time, when I laid down my self-defined rights to have all of my questions answered and all of it to make sense to me, that's when I could hear the Lord. I wasn't arguing anymore. I wasn't trying to have my way, but I could hear what he had to say now because he always talks very kind, very gentle. And I'm over here, you know, making my point, being all dramatic. But when I stopped all that, now I could hear what he had to say. And for me, that's when the healing began, when I began to listen to who he was and not who I thought he was. That's beautiful. And that sweet word of sweet surrender. I think in our culture, people think surrender is a weak place, but actually it's flipped upside down in, in, in God's world and God's economy. Surrender is a place of strength. We are made strong in our weaknesses, that prostrate position of just surrender. Yeah. I don't understand it, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in our world's uh, thinking. What was or is your biggest pain point? This, you know what? It's the same pain point that was there in the immediate moment that my husband was pronounced deceased. And it's the separation from him mm. because, and I think I said this in my pilot, but a lot of this stuff is going to be repeated anyway, because we're talking about the same topic, but the people, we do what we know how to do when somebody passes away. But then again, what do we really know to do? right? Because we can't make a difference. We can't stop the pain. We can't bring the loved one back or we can't, you know, put somebody's limb back on their body or give them back their dreams. It's a journey for them as an individual. So that separation from my husband is what still, when the wave comes and granted they're farther apart now, but when the wave comes, it's the pain of the separation from him. Mm all the food that was brought over by sweet, kind, loving people, all the kind words and the cards. And they meant something because it shows that people remembered my husband, people remembered me and my pain, but it still couldn't stop the actual core of the pain. And that's the separation. And if my God, the good God I profess did not stop it, no one else could make a difference. And so my focus was with God or my beef was with God because he was the one who did not intervene to stop that. So I would have to say that that pain point was and is the separation from my husband. But I do want to add this. The good God I profess has gone ahead of me and provided a solution to this separation because I said to him one time when I was crying out about being, you know, he didn't intervene. He didn't stop the death of my husband and where were you, that kind of thing, all the questions that we give God when we're in pain. And he said to me, no, Sherry, I didn't stop Larry's death, but nor did I lift my hand to stop the death of my only son so that you too can have your loved one again. So that really took the wind out of my sails in the sense that of my argument. And I had to sit back and say, you know what? You're right. You, you have provided a solution to the reality that death separates us here. Mm-hmm. And so that is a good God, right? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So that was my next question is, what does it mean for God to enter into your pain with you or with us? This is what I've learned. It was not my first instinct. And mm. I don't know if it's my first instinct even now, but I will check myself faster. When pain happens, you're like, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, where are you? I just 
pray the blood of Jesus over this. You want it to be gone, or at least I want it to be gone. Don't want to deal with it. Let me out. Because if God's good, right, I'm going to be out of this pain and suffering. But what I have learned now is to invite him in should not be for him to remove my pain, but for me to discover who he is in it. Yes. There is value in pain and suffering. God has made sure of that. Like there is something beautiful in it. I would not have agreed to that before, but I know it's true now. And so when we take the time to invite God into that pain and then acknowledge him, put our focus on him, look at his word, talk to him, listen, he has something for us in it. Even, even with regard to the situation I spoke of a few minutes ago, personal pain in my heart, not knowing if God will move the mountain. I do know that he's working and that there is something in this for me and for the other people in this party, something for us about him in the midst of this pain. Yeah, there is, he is working. What did the beauty of Christ look like for you in the midst of your struggle? His presence. And I've never felt his presence so tangible, probably because Mm -hmm. I was absolutely quiet. Like I wasn't trying to make my own agenda or have my own one-way conversation with God, but having to be face down in the dirt when this happened, I was numb and in shock. And and shock is your friend. It releases its grip slowly, but that's your friend when you're going through something tough like that. But I felt his tangible presence. And what I mean by that is, despite how bad it hurt, it couldn't even find the words at first. I felt peace. I felt hope even in the midst of that. And so that's how I knew it was his, it was presence. I had no explanation of why peace would interrupt what I was feeling. I had no reason to believe anything would pierce that sort of pain or that feeling of hope in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I would, it's presence. It's everything. It's, it brings immense beauty into the situation and into my heart. Reminds me of that verse, that peace that surpasses all understanding. Definitely. To guard our heart and our mind in him. That's what you experience. Yeah. So in that, what is your biggest revelation about God? I look at these women who have shared their story and I look where they're at today. And that includes the ones who are still in the midst of a reality of having to maintain their quality of life based on a struggle. And what I mean by that is I think I would have mentioned Meredith, but she's now in a place of no pain, but Mm -hmm. I think of Mish Poe, her name is Michelle. We call her Mish and her struggle and her suicide attempt. You know, there's no reason why she's alive. There's no, no one was around to know what she did or to see her. And yet she comes to, and there's ambulance and EMT people and everybody's there. So I look at the way God intervened, maybe not to stop the pain, but to meet these women in it and then offer them a different ending, a different option, a better redemption story than what we would have without him. And so for me, the biggest revelation about God in my pain is that he is writing a much bigger love story with each of us as the individual he created us to be. I am going to start signing off on my podcast episodes, reminding my listeners to keep their eyes, the eyes of their heart on the Lord, because no matter what this 
world throws at you, tries to label you with, wants to take from you, rob, steal, kill. Keep your eyes on God because he is writing a much bigger love story with you than any of this that's going on. Amen, girl. Amen. One of the things about our friendship, and it it was one of the, the flames that started it all, was uh, just your love for God's word, his living word that's alive and active in our, our lives. We're all very passionate about that. So in what ways does the word of God or Bible scripture, how does it help you on a daily basis? What's that look like, Sherry? It helps me navigate my world. It is the home base that I use to go out into the world and find my way around. When faced with this devastating loss of my husband, it was a a context with which I could test God to find, like we can dig deeper with him when we can hold up his word to him. I could challenge what I believe to be truth and, and, and what his truth really is. So I think We're all naturally prone to defining God by what we think or feel or hear or see. And I don't believe God holds that against us, but it won't be a viable excuse either. So it helps us to dig into him, to have a context with which to question him and then to understand, because we're so far from the truth when left to our own understanding and experiences that if we don't press into the Lord and challenge our faith with him, holding him up to the scriptures or deconstructing our own understanding, then we'll never have an intimate relationship with him and we'll miss his heart for us and for the world around us. That's good. His heart for us. Yeah. Here's maybe a, a more challenging question. Have you ever felt that God is or was punishing you for something or had rejected you? When I was earlier on in my faith, I would say yes, because I was brought up in an, in a household that you you were never really any good, were always bad. And so I always felt that shame of, of never being able to get anything right, but of me pressing into the Lord and questioning him and trial and error mistakes and bringing my mistakes to him, I would, would say no. But when Larry passed... I did feel very vulnerable to God. I felt like anything was up for grabs. My grandchildren, my children, (laughs) my daughter-in-laws, I just felt like anything goes and nothing was protected. I told him that, you know, I don't hide anything from the Lord. I mean, what's the point, right? He knows everything before you even say it. So I I just lay it out. He eventually speaks into my spirit, uh, his peace and saying, and pretty much what I shared a minute ago, You know, Sherry, I don't care what goes on in this world. You keep your eyes on me. I'm writing that much bigger love story with you. That's beautiful. So what is something you had to redefine during your journey? The same thing that I feel like I heard a lot of women sharing about, and that is identity. We touched on it a little bit earlier. You know, we have the role of mom or we have the dream of being a mom. We have the role of Vermont podcaster and responsibilities as a wife and a mom, and in my case, a grandmother and, and things like that. But when they're gone, you're really left wondering who you are now. It just depends on how deeply you had invested yourself in those titles. And I think relationship wise, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we should be completely sold out, but I will say had my sole identity been as wife, I don't know where I'd be at today. I did have a solid footing on Christ as my identity, but there was so much more to learn about that. 
to learn how we invest our identity in things that we put our hands to, our hearts to, that we invest in. And so it just reminded me that we can't have anything above Christ when it comes to our identity. I'd like to hear your input on that, though. Oh, indeed. Well, you know, that's a real passion of mine. That was why I wrote that devotional book, Soul Stripper, <laughs> because it was what the Lord showed me along that journey and redefining where my value and my worth truly came from. The redefining was not in a title or a role when all those things were stripped away. It was really where my worth and value lies as his daughter, Amy, his beloved. That's the core. That was what was redefined. After talking to you, I realized I could get up in the morning, not do a thing, not get out of bed, pass away right there in the bed. And I was still enough because of God, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross. I am enough, period. Yeah. Yeah. And it's out of our love for him and his love for us that we do do things. It's out of that love, knowing, waking up in the morning and knowing that we are loved by the creator of the universe, Mm -hmm. the one who created us. Then from that place, that deeper well, we can love others. We can move in those roles as mom and grandma and all those different, in the different hats that we wear. But that is not where our true worth and value comes from. That's good because... It does remind me that when we spend our time just being with the Lord and being filled up by Him, and then the areas that we show up in and these roles and responsibilities, we show up with an overflow of who He is. And then we can give to others out of that overflow, not from a desperate need or you know needing something from someone. Not that you don't need people to love you, but I'm saying you come giving and overflowing, and that's a beautiful place to be. Absolutely. We're not looking for other people to fill that cistern or to fill that vessel. When we go to him first, we receive that love. We are filled up by him first. And then just as you said, then the overflow comes. Yeah. They get the benefit of that overflow. It's got to be beautiful for them too. Instead of getting my leftovers that I can hardly put together. (laughs) So what piece of advice would you give to someone who is going through what you are or what you did go through? No matter what you personally define as your trauma, your pain, your suffering, I wouldn't rush things. I say that, though, and I'm talking more from a standpoint where I'm in a position where I've been able to get distance on my situation. Mm -hmm. So as I'm saying that, I'm not sure I can speak to someone who's in the midst of it. But I would say don't rush things because God will never ask you to but find your way to surrender. I think the struggling is important. I think the questions, I think the wrestling, you have to do those things. You can't act like everything's fine when it's not. When it's broken, it's broken. There's no way for you to act like it's not broken. So there has to be this struggle of questions and pain and grief and trying to make sense of it. But when you come to the end of that, and you, you're staring at the sovereignty of God, just lay down whatever arguments are left as soon as you can, because that's when you can hear what the Lord has to say. That's when healing begins. Yeah. To be still and know that he is God in that place of sweet surrender. How would you describe God's presence in your pain or your daily challenges? 
I would say God is good and kind. And those are two very simple words that run extremely deep with him. It's kind of like we talked about a few minutes ago about that surrender being really powerful and with him, good and kind are extremely deep. Mm -hmm. His kindness in things like allowing me to know where my husband was. There are people whose loved one passes away and they don't know where they are or they pass away and they know where they are, but it's confusing on what happened. Like, was it their fault? Was it somebody else's fault? The Lord answered so many things. He provided clarity and answers on things that a lot of people do not get. Mm-hmm. Also his goodness. You could not talk to Larry about estates, wills, funerals, but in July before he passes, or let me back up even before that, like a year before that, God places our daughter-in-law to be in a lawyer's office of estates and wills. She had come out of school wanting to go into family law, but couldn't find a job at the moment ends up here, but that's God. Because as she's talking to him about it, she softens him. He loved her dearly and she softens him. And he goes and has a will done. And we did the the whole estate. We didn't do funeral arrangements because he's definitely put his foot down on that one. But in doing that, I always say now that that's a gift for your loved one, because I had the opportunity to just grieve. Mm -hmm. Everything else was taken care of and I could grieve. So the goodness and kindness of God is extremely extravagant against that backdrop. I have seen that in so many of the stories that of the women that you had on your show, on your podcast, is that there's so many times where God knew what they needed before they even knew they needed it. And he had gone before them. And that's what he tells us, right? He goes before us, Lord. He's He goes before us, behind us, and beside us. And holding on to those truths helps us to continue to walk on the challenges that we do daily. He's so good. He's so good. He's so kind. So I have so enjoyed this time of celebrating and uh, remembering not to forget all the beautiful stories that you've had in your podcast this year, Sherry. But this closing question What is one beautiful thing that God has said to you in the dark? It would have to be when he spoke into my heart, into my spirit. And he said, I don't care what this world throws at you. You keep your eyes on me because I'm writing a much bigger love story with you than anything you will find here. Amen. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. And thank you, Amy, for being such a superb interviewer and a great team player. I love and appreciate you very much. (laughs) Oh, ditto, my sister. So thankful our journeys came together. (laughs) Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive. For more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.